Hello. Welcome to the More Than Hearers podcast. I'm Orion Williams. This is Peter Willis. Going to give you the word in Romans today, Romans 6. Thanks for joining us. Peter, how are you? I'm fantastic, Orion. How are you? I feel really good. I feel good about what we're doing with this podcast so far. I feel great about the study that I'm getting out of this. I mean, this has been opportunity to hang out with a buddy and read the Word of God and get to a closer understanding of what Paul meant when he wrote all this stuff, and I appreciate what you've been doing. I appreciate that feedback. I'm not even sure where to file it, but I'm going to take it and run with it. Round file. (laughs) We're in Romans chapter 6 tonight, or today, or this morning or this afternoon. Regardless, we're in Romans chapter 6. And... uh, I keep saying this, and I feel like because I keep saying it, it's disingenuous, and I don't mean it to, but I am really excited about Romans 6. As I was prepping this study and reading through it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is really good. And um, I think I've said that about Romans 1, and and then 2, and 3, and 4, and even 5, and I'm probably going to say it about 7 on the next episode. Yeah, you've said it about everything so far. And I've, I've said this, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say it again. If you're picking this up for the first time, and you're like, oh, Romans 6, I know a couple of these verses. I like this. I want to hear what they have to say. And you haven't listened to 1 through 5. I'm not trying to just get you to listen to us talk a bunch, uh, but... Romans is this book that builds on top of itself again and again and again and again. And so six is great, but it's even better in the context of one through five. So if you haven't listened to the first five episodes in Romans, really want to suggest you go back, pull those up, get them under your belt first, because it really brings Romans six to life. That being said, we're going to start actually in Romans five. <laughs> now, rewind. Because Romans six one opens with, what shall we say then? And this phrase occurs again and again and again in Romans. And it's a lot like therefore. And anytime you see therefore in the Bible, the the phrase is you've got to find out what it's there for. And so when Paul opens and he says, he opens chapter six, he says, what shall we say then? He's referencing something he was talking about. And so I'm just going to read the last two verses of Romans five. Uh, It's verses 20 and 21. As always, we're in the NIV. Uh, follow along with your version of choice. Uh, Here we go. Romans 5, verse 20 and 21. It says, The law was brought brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, then Paul goes into 6.1, and follow along with me if you would. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul has just said the law came in so that sin might get more. Because if sin got more, God's grace would get more. And so Paul goes, well, then anybody's logical conclusion would be, let's sin more because then God's grace is even greater. And so he opens up chapter 6, and he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Verse 2, by no means, exclamation point. I'd shout it at you, but I don't know where you are or what you're doing, and I don't want to scare you. But by no means, he says, absolutely not. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? To be fair, we could end right there. It's so central to who we are as believers and followers of Christ. If he's Lord of your life, this Romans 6.2 is right there. 
We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I hope you can see the picture here, and there's a, there's a couple of things in this. First of all, we are commanded to repent and be baptized. Jesus said go to the disciples, he said, go into all the world, make disciples of all men, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I've commanded you. That baptism piece was key. And part of that is drawn out by Paul here. He, doesn't, he says it without going, oh, hey, here's what baptism is all about. But really, Romans 6, the first part of Romans 6, is central to baptism. It's this imagery of going down into the waters. We die to ourselves with Christ. It's, it's a death with him. And then when we're risen back up out of the water, it's a resurrection into a new life. We are no longer slaves to sin. That person, that, that Peter, that me, that Orion that was a slave to sin died with Christ. In baptism, we're identifying with him in his death. So that me is dead. And that coming up out of that new birth or that new life, that being the phrase we've used for generations, that being born again. You're a new creature. You're a new creation, no longer a slave to sin. Uh, I got the idea, and it's probably not even worth sharing, but just like me, I'll share it anyway. The idea of this old... Uh, the old you, you know, the old me dying. Uh, and we don't mourn that. No. no <laughs> it's just I, kind of an odd, odd concept. It's like, you know, oh, yeah, like that, that person died. But it's a, almost a celebration b- because of that fact. I mean, it is really. Because I mean, that old person's a dirty, filthy sinner condemned to death. Yes. I, you know. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. I'm getting way ahead of myself. That's, uh, we're going to cover some of that in this chapter. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just turn it off now. We're done. No, <laughs> just kidding. But that old you, you put to death for a reason. You recognized something about it wasn't worth living anymore. Um, it's a... It sounds morbid, and that's why I think we don't focus on it a lot in Christian discussions. I think that's right. Um, but it's the truth. We've identified that this sinful man or woman or you know, is what's separating us from God. And the only way to be rid of it is to put it to death. Well, then, then what? I cease to live. Yeah, great. Now Christ lives in you. The Holy Spirit works through you. You are a new person who's way better than before. Uh, when I've given my testimony in the past, that's the the description I use is uh, me of myself. I was just capable of making bad decisions and poor choices that did nothing but bring harm and difficulty to me. And so I turned my decision-making process over to God. I let him be Lord and in charge. And that's this idea here of putting that sinful person to death 
and taking a new life in Christ because we know he was perfect. We know he is perfect. He's God. Why not turn it over to him? He's the original designer. He's the one who created us and he lived a life without sin. And so that opportunity to live that same life exists through him and in him. So verse nine, or sorry, verse eight. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. See me getting ahead of myself again. (laughs) For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. I'm sure some of you have heard my voice enough now to know that when I pause and emphasize, there's a reason. And I'm probably going to come back to it. So just giving you a little pro tip there. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. It's for everybody. It's it's the coolest thing. And I I think I hearken back to this in episode five uh, because Hebrews adjust, uh, addresses it really well of under the old sacrificial system under the law, when you brought a lamb to be sacrificed at the temple for your sins, they put that lamb to death and it was consumed, whether eaten in the fire or burned up or eaten in the fire. That yeah, doesn't make sense. The fire. Cooked on the fire <laughs> and then eaten or consumed in the fire. That You couldn't go back again and go, oh yeah, my sin's there on that lamb over there. That lamb's gone. Jesus had to die once. And because he was risen from the dead, we get to go, my sins are on that lamb over there. Once for all. If we identify with him and his sacrifice, it's done. But there's there's something else here that I I got to admit and as a as a co-host, I feel really weird admitting this, but I feel like I've never seen this verse before. And I don't know if that has if if you can even relate. I mean, you 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 clearly you've been through this book so well that it's not new to you, but this notion that that Jesus died to sin once and for all, that that was the death that he died. I mean, it's like, I'm kind of wrestling with that in a way because well, didn't he, he was already invincible or impervious. I want to say to sin. I mean, sin, sin didn't have any mastery over him anyway. He, he lived a perfect life. So, but then it's like, but then it says the life he lives, he lives to God. It's like, it's really showing the servanthood of Jesus here, like almost more than I can think of any other verse that says, I mean, there's plenty that are clear, but this one has been here somehow tucked away in Romans all this time. I've never noticed it. It's just really speaking to the servitude of Christ as an example for us. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I'm just tripping that I never noticed it. And, um, that idea of his being, he died a death, uh, to sin. He, the death he died, verse 10, he died to sin. And then the once for all peace. But I, I, if I'm, my memory serves me correctly, which some days it doesn't. But chapter 5, we talked about this a little bit. Of the, It was chapter 5. The curse of sin. Adam committed a sin. And it brought a curse of death to all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter 5 even says, those who didn't sin, which... I'm not sure who those people are, but those from Adam to Jesus, those who didn't sin still died because Jesus died and was 
and then lived again. He beat death, therefore he beat the curse of sin. He died to sin. Sin no longer had the mastery of death. Okay, that's see now that's even like I don't even know if everyone caught that that because that is just a, like some next level deepness right there. And like this he, is where this is where he I died to the to the mastery that death had, the power that death had. Right, he died to the power that death had, it, I, the the power that sin brought. <laughs> and in preaching and teaching, I do a lot of times. I come back to this. This verse, and I hammer on it far, well, not far too much. I don't think you hammer on scripture too much. But this is the, the brilliance of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not die, but have eternal life. Whoever believed in him beats death, which therefore means you beat sin, because sin equals death. Because Jesus died that death, that he died to sin, it says, Romans 6.10. He's beat it. Sin no longer has the consequence of death. Does our physical body pass away? Absolutely. This thing's breaking down on me anyway, so let it go. We, though, I, not going to die. When this earth suit breaks down um, and can't be revived any longer, to be absent from the body is to be present with God. It's forever. It's it's cool, it's cool stuff. And, and that's why I keep coming back to, if you just picked up in Romans 6, oh man, you got to get one through five because five sets this up so well. Yeah. Is it, sorry to everyone for stammering like an idiot at my discovery of this <laughs> gem here. Uh, and I'll tell you, pro tip or newsflash, if you didn't know, Orion heard chapter five. He was here for it, but... It, it was, you know, we recorded that one and then we went away and we recorded this one again. And sometimes you get lost, but this is my third run through Romans in a while, in, in recent time. And so I've been on this and it's real fresh for me and um, and it's exciting. I just I love how this book continues to build. And, you know, you think about Romans, you know, 623 is a good verse and, you know, 323 is good and most of eight. I mean, eight's fantastic. And some of the other key, there's a there's a verse in five. And uh, some of you grew up around the Romans road, which was a way to take somebody through Romans to salvation. But some of the chapters you go, well, it's kind of a Passover uh, chapter. Not, not the celebration of Passover, but a, ch- a chapter you can just pass on by uh, because it's not central. But the thing you find as you dig into Romans is... It's all central. Mm-hmm. Rome, we already covered it. Romans six two, those who've died. To, we're those who've died to sin. How can we live any longer? Nobody's quoting Romans six two, but it's so big. Romans six ten. Nobody's quoting six ten. It's not a memory verse you had in elementary school and Sunday school, but it's there, and it's so central to the truth of our faith. Verse eleven. In the same way. In the same way that Jesus died his death to sin, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's our participation Mm -hmm. we get by identifying with him. Identify that you are also dead to sin, and you now live alive to God through Christ as he lives alive. Verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Shoot. Shoot. Think I've done that once or twice today. 
No. In the last few, no. I, I, odds are it's happened to all of us. But this commands here nonetheless. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Verse they, third, oh, sorry. No, you called it a command, and, and I think it is, but I think more than a command, it's uh, it's just a good instruction. It, it's an encouragement. It's, uh, it's, say, it's saying in light of these facts, here, you know, be, be live pure. I mean, don't let sin own you. You you hit it right on the head, and I'm so glad you you formed it that way because it's really easy to look at this and get discouraged. Now, don't let sin reign your mortal body any longer. The guy on the other side of the the speaker says, "Oh, it's a command," and you go, "Oh shoot, I'm in big trouble now." The Bible's commanded me not to let sin reign or or what on sins in my life. Well. It may be as sins in my life. I'm trying to let it not be because it doesn't reign. Just because it's present at times doesn't mean it's what rules me any longer. Paul says here, don't let sin rule your mortal body any longer. You now are ruled by Jesus. It's a, it's a transition. Yeah. So don't be discouraged by it. Don't go, oh, I can't do it. Forget it. I'm all done. Turn it off. Put the Bible away. I can't I can't meet that uh, because it's about what rules you, what reigns. Verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Can I say, say something about this? Too? Yeah, please. <laughs> All right. So in verse thirteen, Paul says, "Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those as saying as if you have been brought from death to life. I mean, literally, as those who have been brought. This is a you know, offer yourselves." be in this way. Yeah. And when I think of someone who'd been brought from death to life, the reaction that I should have, the, the, my response to that should be of, uh, words can't describe the amount of gratitude. I mean, when you're thinking about this, like, right, I was dead and you've given me life again. I mean, I would be like, if, if the doctor brought me back, you'd be, you'd be like loving that doctor. And to the end of, correct me if I'm wrong, if that happened, uh, let's say you, you died and you were revived. Would you agree with me that whatever made you dead, you would be committed to not doing any more? I think so. Yeah. Cause it would make you dead again. again. Yeah. 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 That's it's such a great imagery because sin is what brought us death. And so if we've been brought back to life, why would we want to sin anymore? That leads to death. Love it. Yeah. It's, it's good stuff, man. That's a great, great illustration, a way to bring it together. I, I breeze right over it. And you... That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Paul goes, come on. By no means. He doesn't say, come on. It's not in your Bible. It's not in mine. I've just freshened it up a little bit. Yeah, it, might, it might as well be there. No? <laughs> By no means. Exclamation point again. Don't you know? That when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, 
whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. For some people, I recognize that some of this stuff is tough to swallow. In in the day and age that we're in, the word slave is uncomfortable for a lot of people. It denotes, in a lot of countries, um, a really ugly period in time. And then we recognize that there are still portions of the world where slavery exists um, in some really ugly ways. And so anytime somebody says the word slave, you shut down and go, nope, I have no part of that. I don't want nothing to do with slaves. But it's the truth of our lives. When we were ruled by sin, when sin reigned in our mortal bodies, whether we liked it or not, we were slaves to it. We did what it said because it said to do it. And you paid the penalty that it brought, whether you really wanted to be associated with it or not. You That was the curse. Yeah. You, you, you got the death part, whether you actively participated or wanted it, it was coming your way. Yep. And so now we have the opportunity to change our master. Because let's be honest, we're going to be mastered. A lot of people are out there trying to master themselves in one, one way, shape, or form. But the scripture makes it clear, to some level it's futility, unless we choose to be mastered by righteousness, unless we choose to be mastered by Christ. We're going to get into Romans 10. It talks, it's real clear about calling Jesus Lord. It's not just a f- fancy name we use in church circles. It means an owner of persons. You are surrendering to Jesus as your owner is your master he you're turning control of your life over to him it, it's almost uncomfortable for us in a modern age I to think, think it of is, it yeah. that way i mean it, even in the context here when we're uh, we know each other's hearts on this matter and we know what it means just to to consider jesus as lord and we've we've talked about this dozens of times if not a hundred times but it's still maybe to many people, kind of a, a foreign concept. And I think you you have a good way of hitting it home uh, whenever you preach on the subject or teach about the importance of considering Jesus as the master, like as reporting for duty, sir. Yeah. What, will you, what do you have me do today? What are we doing today? Yeah. I don't want to do that, but you said do it, so i got to go get it done. That's the truth of it. Mm. Our... Our nature is not to be obedient to God. We have a sinful nature. The scripture says all over. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard the term sin nature at least once or twice, I'm sure, if not thousands of times. Mm -hmm. It is in our nature to rebel against God. And so that's this whole piece. Should we continue to sin because we're not in the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know, verse 16, that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. When you choose to follow after sin, you are a slave to it. And so when we offer ourselves as slaves to someone we obey, if we choose to obey God, if we choose to follow after Christ, we're offering ourselves up as slaves. And so Paul says in 19, as, as, he, as he spends this, 15 through 18 on on being slaves to righteousness or to sin he says in 19 he goes i'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations hey uh it's truth it's our ability to understand some of this stuff 
just like with some of the other passages we've covered tonight where Orion or or even myself have brought an illustration that clarifies it more. Paul says, I'm using an example Mm. from, from everyday life. I'm bringing an illustration to you so you get this. Just as you used to, verse 19 goes on, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Here's the thing. Our submitting ourselves as slaves to sin and wickedness and all those things, it came easy. I didn't have to really think about it. It just came to us. This choice now to offer ourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness because it's not natural for us. It's a choice and a decision we have to continually make Mm. this side of heaven. We get to shed this earth suit and this sinful nature and we get to be made complete in the presence of God. Oh man, so much easier. Yeah. But to get there it requires some effort on this end of things. But the destination is absolutely worth the journey. At least in my opinion. Yeah, I don't I'm not gonna argue with you. You, know, you got no argument? No, I'm not okay. gonna fight you on I, that one. I might fight you on something, but I no no. I don't really want to fight. <laughs> Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Did you hear that? When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. (laughs) What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. I love this verse. I love this verse. What benefit did you reap at that time from those things that you are now ashamed of. This is Paul. Yeah. Paul wrote a lot of this stuff. He's real. He knew God. He Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, so much so that he was blind for a while. And he knew people. And he knew people. <laughs> he, he set up churches everywhere, some places where there are still churches today. Paul was a guy who knew God. We know based on Romans, as we go through, you're going to go, man, this guy is way smarter than me. He understood righteousness on an intellectual level. But he's willing to address that we have things in our lives that we're ashamed of. How do you know? (laughs) I think because he had things in his life he was ashamed of. That's something to me. A lot of people I know, I spent a a number of years in addiction recovery-based ministries, Christ-centered recovery ministries. And there are a lot of people I know who had things in their past that they're ashamed of. It's not just like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. It's a, I don't ever want to tell anyone that story. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have sin in our past that we're probably never going to confess to anyone but God. There's stuff we're ashamed of. There's a person we used to be. We prefer people not know we used to be. And Paul goes, what benefit did you reap from those things? And you're like, none. I'm I'm shame. (laughs) I don't see that as being a benefit, to be fair. He says, verse 22, But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like 
classic verse of Christendom. Unlike verse 2 or verse 10 or some of the other verses we pointed out tonight, uh, most of us learned this one at some point in time. You may have it memorized in your version of choice. A lot of these things I have memorized in King James because when I was a kid, that's all our church used and all our memory verses were in King James. I think I know John 3.16 in like three versions. But, but the wages of sin is death. And you're in there and you go, oh, great, I'm a sinner, I'm, I'm dead. But the gift of God, do you hear it? The gift of God, not the requirement of God, not the thing you can buy off of God, not the thing you can work your way into. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that's the end verse-wise of Romans 6, but I'd like to step back from it for a second and because it paints this really cool picture and it ends with this, I don't want to call it a cliche verse because that's not fair, but this familiar verse. Iconic. Yeah, iconic's a, a great word. Thank you for that, Orion. This iconic verse, and so you go, oh, that's it. That's the pinnacle of it. But 1 through 22 is so great. You know, he... Should we go on sinning so that God's grace will increase? And Paul's like, ah, oh, no, no, by no means. Don't you understand that you died with Christ? Christ died to sin, so you get to die to sin with him. And if you died with him, you get to be resurrected with him into this new life as a servant to God. And Paul goes, see, that sounds funny, but you were a servant to sin, a slave to sin all this time and now you get this opportunity to be a slave to righteousness which brings you into fellowship with God because being a slave to sin all the way down to verse 23 leads to death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus your servanthood now to God breeds eternal life Mm. oh man so cool. And, and, and as we step back from it even further, you look back at Romans 1 that said, you know, God is apparent in all things. But because man, man refused to acknowledge God or even give thanks to God, Paul says, God turned him over to every sort of sin he could come up with. Not every sort of sin God could come up with. Every sort of sin we could come up with on our own. And we can come up with some stuff. And he lists a bunch of stuff. And people want to harp on one or the other. and Let it go because it goes everywhere from homosexuality to disobedient to your parents. You'll find yourself in there, I promise. You're in there. But he gets to chapter 2 and he goes, Ah, if you didn't see yourself there and you think those people are terrible, that makes you judgmental. And by chapter 3 he goes, Here's what I'm trying to get at. There's no one righteous. Not even one. He goes so far as to say, there is no one who seeks after God. And at the end of chapter 3, he goes, that's good news. Because we're not saved by our right living, by our righteousness. Our righteousness, our right living comes from our faith in God. And you go, really? Prove it. In chapter 4, he goes, look at Abraham. Abraham was credited as righteous by God because he believed. And you go, yeah, but Abraham got all these promises from God. He, that happened after he was already credited as righteous for his beliefs in God. Before he was circumcised, before God promised him uh, descendants uh, that outnumbered the stars in the sky or the sands or anything else, it was credited to him as righteousness. And in chapter 5 goes, see, here's the thing. Sin came into the world through Adam. 
Adam sinned. We all got cursed. Everybody dies. And through Christ, everybody has the opportunity to live. And it comes by faith, just like Abraham's example. And so therefore, the law that everybody was trying to be obedient to for all these generations before Jesus, all it did at the end of chapter 5, it says, all it did was point out how lawless, how unrighteous we were. And all that did was give the opportunity for God's grace by extending a free gift to us to look better. And so again, back to 6 where we were today, opens up and goes, should we keep sinning so that God's grace looks even better? And he goes, stop serving that old way. You're dead to that and you have a new life. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to move forward into chapter 7. I hope you guys see this tapestry that's already painted to chapter 6. We've got 10 more chapters of this to go. If it's beautiful to you now, and it's amazing to me, I just it, it lights me up, just wait. It gets even better and it gets even bigger.